Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. New numbers here. Measuring the impact of coronavirus here in the state of Utah, 722 new cases, 722 new confirmed cases of the COVID-19, as well as seven additional deaths here in the state of Utah. Those are heartbreaking numbers because here in Utah, we set our own standard and we have thus far done relatively well. If you compare our experience in combating the coronavirus to other states around the country and certainly other countries around the world, we've done relatively well. There is this notion I've been looking into lately called excess mortality. It uh, it feels like a, a crude phrase, but what it describes essentially, and we'll get into more of this uh, later on in the week and into next week. I won't dwell on it too much right now, but excess mortality, the way that figure is calculated is various health jurisdictions, they look back over history and they see what the average number of deaths may be for any given amount of time, a week or a month. And then those predictions, those extrapolations are compared to what happens in reality. And if for whatever reason, say a heat wave or a natural disaster, or in our case today, a pandemic causes the number of actual deaths in a region to exceed the predicted number, each one of those deaths is referred to as an excess mortality. Well, here in Utah, we have yet to experience even one excess mortality, meaning that the predicted number of deaths to take place here in the state of Utah at any given time, and these are numbers that are uh, measured via equations and such like that, but the historical data reaches back decades, that we have not exceeded the expected number of deaths even in the absence of the pandemic. That's good reason uh, to take good cheer, but it is also reason to redouble our efforts. I've told you uh, throughout the morning that it is right now being debated in the governor's office as to whether or not he will put in place a mandate, a mandate requiring you and me to wear masks. Well, we'll see uh, what he decides. We'll see what he decides. And we'll get back into uh, this conversation about the numbers later on. Right now, though, I want to continue the conversation we had in the prior segment, this uh, about the controversy uh, right now surrounding the mascot at Bountiful High School, the Bountiful Braves. There's that petition, of course, you have heard of uh, circulated by a former student of that high school, Mallory Rogers. 
has almost 2,000 signatures so far, one of those petition.org deals. Well, I thought to myself, well, you know what? If we are actually going to look at this issue responsibly, we need, we need to draw from the views and attitudes of those within the Native American community. For that matter, we spoke in the last segment with James Singer, co-founder of the Utah League of Native American Voters. Earlier this morning on Dave and Dejanovic, they spoke with Darren, Darren Perry, former chairman of the Northwestern Band of Shoshone, of the Shoshone tribe, and current congressional candidate in Utah's first district. In fact, right now, he holds uh, the narrowest of leads over his opponent, Jamie Cheek. I think, last time I checked, it was fewer than, it was fewer than 400 votes that separated them. Anyway, uh, on this morning's uh, D2 program, Dave and Debbie asked the former chairman, Darren Perry, they asked if Brave was offensive. Let me just say this uh, uh, right out of the shoot, and then we'll talk, talk about that. Uh, Native Americans are not mascots. We're, the, we're, we're just not. Uh, is the term brave offensive to me or some of my native brothers and sisters? Uh, probably not. Not near as offensive as redskins or other racist uh, images we can think of. That's really not the problem here, though. And, and those young ladies that you interviewed really hit the nail on the head when they talked about uh, dressing up and wearing... Uh, something that's really sacred to Native Americans, that headdress, and and face painting themselves red and chanting. All of those things were used as ceremony. They were sacred. And so what what I find here is, is I don't think that those students really understand what it means and some of the messages behind that. And so that's what's offensive to me is when we take something like that that is something that's sacred to Native Americans and just because of our lack of knowledge, uh, step all over it. And so that's the problem. It's not the term brave, but it's what people do with that term and how they, how they see that to be played out. That's a similar attitude as the one expressed by James Singer, again, co-founder of the Utah League of Native American Voters and a guest on this program today, that the term brave in itself is not necessarily what causes the offense, but rather the associated behavior, the chants and the headdresses and even the war paint. Well, Debbie asked Mr. Perry what the Bountiful Braves needs to do about that name. I think it really it comes down to this. It's community involvement. And I don't think and I don't believe that, that there's one policy that fits every community, uh, as we saw in Cedar City. I think where, where Cedar City really missed the boat, they got it right. But at the, end of the, at the end of the day, they got it right. But they didn't invite the Paiute tribe. The local Paiutes were not invited to the table originally. So I, I've always felt like, if we include the local communities and, and get them involved and sit down and have an honest and open discussion and where we learn from each other. This is about learning. It's not about uh, those students that dress up don't do it out of spite and don't do it out of uh, a way to hurt. I, I think they do it just because their lack of education. And so uh, I think when local communities can sit down 
the best decisions can be made, and I absolutely believe in that process. I agree with that notion. I agree that for the most part, most of us who are involved in this issue, or at least have proximity to the issue, really are disqualified from debating the merits. I do understand tradition, and I do understand the importance of sharing the traditions of our ancestors, of our parents, those who went to Bonneville High School before us or any high school which has uh, any number of traditions, either the offensive type or the inoffensive. But I also know that there are some uh, ancestors who trace their traditions back even further. And that is certainly the case of these Native American individuals who are now speaking up against the certain practices used to celebrate uh, and to cheer on the mascot there at Bountiful High School. I am not qualified to weigh in and say that it ought to be this way or that way. Uh, but I do believe that that decision must only be made, whatever it be, with the consultation of people like James Singer, with people like Darren Perry, and it, most importantly, with the Native American community which attends Bountiful High School.